Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, you're missing... Everybody, you're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, the podcast where we talk about every Bruce Springsteen song alphabetically, one by one. My name's Rob Carmack, and over there, this guy, he's not missing. That's J.B. Clark. Nope. He is present right and accounted here. for. You know where I am. Yes, sir. So this is, as we mentioned, a podcast about Bruce Springsteen, one song at a time. We, If, if you're just discovering us now, uh, I, got, I got good news and bad news. The good news is there's a lot of old episodes that you can still go back and listen to. The bad news is we're almost done. But we... This uh, is almost over. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for finding us. And uh, but today, what we're going to do, we're down to five songs left, JB. And so if you can count them all down on one hand. And this Dang. song is either, depending on how you like to count, this is either your index finger or your thumb or your pinky. So any, any way you shake it, we're talking about you're missing. Uh, yeah, that's what we're talking about today <laughs> on, on whatever finger it is that you're holding. Whichever finger <laughs> you like to start with counting um, down to like five to one. So uh, this song comes from the 2002 record, The Rising. This song, as we mentioned every single or this album, as we mentioned every single time, is Bruce's emotional kind of response slash lament slash word of hope in the aftermath of the September 11, 2001 attacks. And uh, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of like peaks and valleys in this album. And this this one is one of the valleys. And we'll talk about that in a second. And uh, let's see. Oh, this is our final song from The Rising. We've been, like, like I said, we've been on this alphabetical journey for a little while now. And... Uh, this is this is the last time we'll be talking about the rising on this particular lap. So, Rolling Stone magazine has this song listed at number sixty in their top one hundred Bruce Springsteen songs of all time. How do you feel about that? Dang, that's super hot. I don't think it's that hot for me. No, I don't, I don't think, think it's low, but I don't think it's sixty five for me. No, I don't think so either. It's um, I mean, did it's, you say 63 Sixty. Uh, What'd you say? Number sixty. 60 the 60th oh, greatest song not. yeah maybe 65 yeah I, I don't i don't think i put this one there. i mean i like the song but i i would not rank it quite that high okay so the the last time the song was played live was on september 11th 2016 in pittsburgh on the final leg of the uh, 2016 river tour and he was doing a lot of legacy act stuff because he was trying to promote his new book uh at the time and he actually at that show because it was september 11th in pittsburgh he he ended up playing a lot of songs from the rising that night and this is one of them this and and that that show in 2016 that was the first time he had played this song since he played it one time on the Devils and Dust tour and before that he had only ever played this song on the Rising tour so outside of the 2003 Rising tour the song has been played exactly two times once on the Devils and Dust tour and once on the 2016 East Street Band tour huh yeah so not it's not a lot not a lot more than you'll be coming down but not not a lot um, yeah, especially not a lot for a Rolling Stone uh, top 60 song. Oh, that's true, yeah. The song actually predates the album, The Rising, by quite a bit. It, it was recorded initially in 1994. I'm not totally sure what the project was. This might have been his... Um, we, we talked before about how Bruce had has mentioned before that he had planned sort of a Streets of Philadelphia-style album, and I have to think like maybe this was one of the contenders before he scrapped that project. yeah. But yeah, yeah, he it was written in 1994, but then it was it was put on the shelf and it was obviously revived and then rewritten again in uh, for uh, September 11th for the Rising. And um, Bruce, in, in talking about the song, he talks about how he was sitting at home one night with Patty and the kids in 1994, and he says he just sat down at the piano and started to riff, and this is what came out. So, um, huh? So he built it, which I mean, 
not bad for like sitting down at a piano and rip. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Yesterday. There, there's a scene in, in the movie Yesterday. It's about, if, if, for those who are unfamiliar with it, it's about this guy who like gets hit by a bus and he wakes up in, in the world. That, like in the world that he lives in now, like no one knows who the Beatles were, but he remembers all the music. And so he begins to like pass off the Beatles entire body of work as his own. And there's a scene where like he and Ed Sheeran are having like a song write off and they have like 20 minutes to go into separate rooms. And he comes out and just plays the long and winding road. <laughs> and uh, like, Oh yeah, you just came up with that. And obviously he didn't, but like if Bruce like sat down, if I was just in a room one day and Bruce was like, I'm just going to noodle around. And this came out, I'd be like, where did you, are you from an alternate dimension where Paul McCartney wrote a, wrote a bunch of songs we've never heard before? <laughs> Pretty solid, uh, just come up with out of nowhere. Sorry, I, I yeah. spaced out super hard there. No, <laughs> but yeah, he says he says, um, he says the sure. earliest version of the song was like a lot more up tempo and poppy, but he slowed it down to match the lyrics, which was probably the correct thing to do. And uh, we we talked a long time ago about a song called "Missing," which is an earlier version of this song from before it was totally redone. So I, like I said, I have to assume that the, the plan at the time was for the mid 90s streets of Philadelphia album, like to include this, but obviously that album never happened. So who really knows? Let's talk music. I really like the interplay between the really round bass guitar tone and the strings, like the um, violin. Mm-hmm. It, and then the way the electric guitar, uh, the slide guitar, uh, fits into that everything fits together so nicely to where the parts sound nothing like the whole but the whole doesn't sound like it has individual parts sort of until the interlude you know what i mean yeah for sure like if you were to hear any of these parts by themselves you'd be like i don't know i don't really know what that is uh it doesn't sound like this it's notes in a chord sort of but i feel like the string section could probably stand on its own but other than that i think you're right yeah, I mean in the sort of the interlude it, it stands out a bunch yeah, yeah. a whole lot but just the way the like plucked guitar and the electric guitar and the bass and the violins sort of all are, I don't know, it feels really nice. It it's, really does. Yeah. It's really easy to listen to. <laughs> it, it's almost like hypnotic, isn't it? It's sort of like, yeah, it's, you. I don't know. It kind of gives you that feeling of like whenever you're so sad that you can't sleep, but then you're so tired and sad that you finally go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it just takes you. <laughs> Well, and it's, I mean, it's kind of got that sort of dreamy quality to it. It does. Well, and, and that's the, again, the brilliant, we've talked about this a million times. One of the brilliant things about Bruce Springsteen is he's such a good, he's so good at matching tone with message. And so like, even without the lyrics, if you just had an inter- instrumental track of the song, it would, it would sound like loneliness, you know, and this is a yeah. song about loneliness. Like that's, that's amazing. Like he's able, he's able to create an emotion with only sound before he puts in the lyrics. Like that's that yeah. that is what makes him the greatest, you know. That, that he's he is so consistently able to do that. In fact, um, Brendan O'Brien, who produced this record, said, "Quote that song you're missing was all about how to present the lyrics in the best way and to stay restrained." So while a lot of the stuff that they would do, specifically on like the Magic record, was about like not being restrained in the studio, and there was a lot of like you can tell like they're just turning all kinds of knobs and dialing things up and up and up. But on this one, Brennan very specifically was like, we needed to let this one feel like it was it was being held back because again, yeah. it's about loneliness, and so like it has to sort of have the sort of yearning, empty kind of feel to it. Yeah, it's very restrained. It's great. 
Also, Susie Tyrell, who's playing the violin, uh, she created the, the violin part in the studio just by, like, freestyling. I mean, and Bruce kind of guided her and coached her a little bit, but she pretty much created this in, the, like, what you hear, which to me is the defining characteristic of this song. I think the strings are the thing that make this song what it is. And, yeah. um, and that Susie was able to go in there and just sort of, like, figure this out with very little, I mean, some guidance, but, like, not... I mean, he did not come in there like with the Jungle Land solo to Clarence and just like tell him like note for note what to do. Like Susie kind of invented this in the studio, and uh, and likewise, she's she's great. Oh, she is. She is and just she's a yeah. I th- she she she. I think she was a really needed addition to the E Street Band. You know, because she she was she was the only like the viol- she, They kept her in the E Street Band for the River Tour when Bruce pretty much got rid of everything that wasn't original E Street Band instruments you know from the from the original yeah she's just sort of essential for filling out you know especially when he starts doing later stuff he just really incorporates more production and you got to have some strings to get to get any of that sort of feeling you know yeah she carries a lot of weight and she's she's also featured on the western stars album which we've not yet talked about but um she she puts a lot into that album as well brendan o'brien also says that it was bruce's idea to add the big organ solo at the end of the song and so danny federici the the organist for the Eastry Band, at the, I don't know why I just went blank. But Dan, Danny Federici, who was the organist <laughs> for the Eastry Band, um, Brandon says he just came in and he nailed it. He just had this Bruce just sort of was like, we should finish this with a big organ solo, and they brought in Danny and he he delivered it. And so that's what you hear there. That's that's what happens whenever you've been playing with the same guys and write music with them for this long. You yeah, know? it's just I mean just artistic chemistry. Like you can really see it kind of coming out and how yeah. they just sort of like figure each other out while they're recording this. Speaks to how much a pro Susie is too, because they didn't. I mean, they definitely played together, but not like near as much as Danny. No, know? yeah, I mean, she was definitely she's the newest. Well, I guess now Jake Clemens is the newest, but like for for a while she was the newest member of the E Street Band. Yeah, I, I think Patty brought her in actually. I think they were friends first. She does a lot of heavy lifting in the song. What else is that like instrumentally or production wise? Like what else? What else are you hearing here? The, the organ at the end, like that, oh, you talked about it. Uh, it just comes up and drowns the rest of the song out and then just carries it away. I love that. Yeah, it's really good. Um, you f- almost forget how restrained the rest of the song is because this song is very restrained. The melody is like kind of just there. It's not like in a bad way. It's just like kind of spoken. It's just sort of like sung as quietly and low as Bruce sings. It's good. Yeah, man. It's really nice. It is nice. There's I... some really plucky strings too that are nice. On the interludes and stuff. So. I, I do think this is one of the essential songs on this record. Like, The Rising is a pretty long album. I think there's like 15 tracks on it, which is long yeah. for a single disc album. And uh, I think this is, and there, there's some songs on there that are good, but they're not, I wouldn't call them essential. You know, um, but this, I think this is one that you'd be like, even if, if you had to strip The Rising down to like eight to 10 songs, I think that you, even though this isn't necessarily my favorite song on The Rising, I think it's an important song on The Rising. I think, I think it is, yeah. it is uh, essential to what The Rising is attempting to do. It's, it's a major part of the messaging of the whole, whole record. Very much, yeah, tone setter. Um, should we do lyrics? Yeah. Definitely sets the tone. Let's do the lyrics. Starts out, shirts in the closet, shoes in the hall, mama's in the kitchen, baby and all. Everything is everything. Everything is everything. But you're missing. Okay, so, like, things are normal, but you're So why does he say everything is everything, and why does he say it twice? I I don't know why he says it twice, but he's just saying, like, everything is the way it is. Everything is everything. But you're missing. So, like, everything's here without you. Yeah, it's like, everything is normal. Like, you know, at face value, if somebody were just to like drop in 
out of nowhere and know nothing about our situation, they would think this is our normal lives. Everything seems like it's in place. The shirt's yeah. in the closet, shoes are in the hall. Mama's here, the baby's here, but you're missing. So whoever you, whoever he's, whoever the second person recipient of this is, like there is, there is a felt absence. And just because, and it's not, it's not an absence of, well, now that this person's not here, who's going to hang up the shirts and who's going to make breakfast or whatever. Like all those jobs are taken care of, but the absence of a person, even though there's not a job that the person needs to be doing, it's, it's the absence of them, you know, of the self. So everything is everything. Everything is normal, but there's an absence. There's a loss. But you're missing. You're missing. The next verse is similar. Coffee cups, coffee cups on the counter, jackets on the chair, papers on the doorstep, but you're not there. Everything is everything, but you're missing. The next one is, I mean, really, if you look, it's pretty simple, but um, pictures on the nightstand, TVs in the den, TVs on the den, your house is waiting, your house is waiting for you to walk in, for you to walk in, but you're missing, you're missing. And then it goes into sort of this, you're missing when I shut out the lights, you're missing when I close my eyes, you're missing when I see the sunrise, you're missing. So, I mean, it's a song about loss, it's a song about grief. And it's funny, he, he yeah. wrote the song like years before September 11th, but this is about all the families who lost someone. This is, it's a funeral song. It's about sort of, and, and I mean, I realized like a big part of living in New York city at this time was like trying to get back to normal when the whole earth had turned upside down, you know? And so like trying to find normal again. And he even, it's sort of that, that notion of like, yeah, you can, you can still find normal, but that doesn't remove the absence. It, it doesn't fill whatever vacancy was left by, by you missing. In fact, it's kind of, I, oh, this is weird timing. Just today, I watched, I, I had a little bit of downtime and I watched a movie that just came out. It's called um, American Woman. Have you heard of this at all? I've heard of it. I, I don't know much about it. I just saw it. I was looking at sort of what movies I want to watch next and it's, I saw it on the list. It's good. It's very sad. But um, it's got Sienna Miller and Aaron Paul. And it, it's about a woman who, and, I mean, this is in the trailer, but it, it's about a woman who's teenage, not not unlike three billboards outside of Missouri. Uh, this woman, her teenage daughter just goes missing one night. And you think it's going to be a, like a whodunit or like a gone girl kind of thing. But what it, it kind of ends up being is just sort of like, how does this person live her life after her worst nightmare comes true? You know? And so, yeah. Dang. yeah and it's, it's like, it's deeply sad and profound, but it's, it's really poignant. And, and this song is making me, it's funny. We're talking about the song today because, because that's sort of the idea. Like she, she's raising another kid and like, she has like she goes to work she has like family members that she spends time with and everything feels normal and like if you started watching the movie in the middle you would have no idea why everybody's so quiet and sad you know because everybody just seems to be living their lives and then you realize like uh, but by watching the beginning of the movie you know it's oh it's because someone like ripped a giant hole in the middle of her and and she's trying she's trying to find normal and no matter how normal everything feels there's still like the absence does not go away you know yeah and that's that is what this song is about yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I always think you know like oh, it's kind of a sad song. But whenever I listen to it on the record, like if I listen to it by itself, it's like man, it's a sad song. But if I listen to it on the record, it's it affects me sort of differently and like a much deeper, uh, I guess like profound sadness and not just like personal sadness way. Yeah, does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's that's by design. I think Bruce puts it where he puts it on the record because that's the moment he wants you to feel the things that the song is feeling. So then we've got the bridge. It says children are asking if it's all right. Will you be in our arms tonight? So that dreaded conversation that I'm sure so many firefighters and policemen's parent or families had to have with their kids, which is no, they're not coming home tonight, you know, and they're not, right. they're not coming home at all. And then the next, then you go back into the verses and it says morning, morning is morning. The evening falls. I got, 
Uh, too much room in my bed, too many phone calls. How's everything? Everything, everything, everything you're missing, you're missing. And then the final sort of, um, coda is God's drifting in heaven. Devil's in the mailbox. I got dust on my shoes, nothing but teardrops. Dust in the mailbox is such a good line. I mean, uh, devil's devil's in the mailbox is such a good line. Devil's in the mailbox. I got dust on my shoes. That is, uh, yeah. Sad. It is sad. It's and you got bills to pay and old shoes on. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's about the absence of someone who is dearly loved. It's so gut richly sad. And quite frankly, and we've talked. I, I realize we've talked about other songs on the rising that sort of do this as well. But this is a really profound, poignant articulation of what it means to grieve. You know, it's, yeah, it's the idea of yeah, as normal as you can convince yourself things are. There, there's a part of you that's never coming back. You know, and there's a there's a thing there's a thing that once existed that gave you life that no longer exists. And no matter how happy or successful or how far past it you go, there is a certain kind of wound that time will never fully heal. And yeah. and this song, I, I can only imagine how many how many people who, who lost people in nine eleven when they got this record and they got to this song, I can only imagine what kind of emotions this evoked. You know, when they listen. To oh, it, for sure. You know, I haven't I've never thought about like, what is it like to hear this record for the first time? But from the perspective of someone who like experienced loss in 9-11. Yeah, I bet that has to be um, a wildly profound and emotional experience. I would think so. And, and that's a I mean, yeah, that's a that's a thing that we will never understand. Like I, I came to this record way, way later. And even if I had picked it up when it first came out, I it would not have had that impact on me. You know, like I'm, I'm not a New right. Yorker. I was very fortunate and never lost anybody. But I mean, in th- this whole album, th- I mean, the mythology around this album is like Bruce was in New York and some guy like drove by him in a truck and leaned out of his window and said, Bruce, we need you. And so like yeah. the, the creation of this album was a response to that guy, like according to Bruce. And, and, and that was the story around this album when it was released. And so I would imagine like a lot of life, lifelong Bruce Springsteen fans who lived in New York or New Jersey or Pennsylvania at the time or DC, they picked up this record and they put it on. I'm like, this right. is what Bruce wants to say to me. And then to get yeah. to this song, this song would have broken me if, if that had been me, you know what I mean? Like in, in a good yeah. way, like this song, it would have been like, I can't believe he figured out how to say the thing that I've been trying to, to say. Yeah. You know, because, Absolutely. because that's how grief works. Even the mundane parts of life have like this new sad dimension to them. And, and, um, even, even, I mean, I don't know if you've, you know, like if you've ever experienced a loss and like the first time you have like a family get together after a parent dies or like a Chris, like Christmas after that one person is gone. Like there's a, like even, yeah. even moments of celebration and joy are coded in, but they're missing, you know, like, and that's, mm-hmm. that's a thing that doesn't go away. Not, not fully. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, man. I no. I have a deep, I have a deep appreciation for the song, and and I don't, I don't think it's in my top one hundred or anything. It might be actually. I don't, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll look. But um, <laughs> I'll tell you definitively. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can say for certain in just a second. I don't know, man. I mean, you've, you, you've been there. You've grieved. You, you know, sort of like how that journey works. Like, what, what do you? What does this song say to you? Yeah, it's that. It's that. Uh, I love the line that there's just too much space in my bed. Because that's, uh, I find, like, if I'm out of town for a while, uh, for work or something, like, more than two nights, you know, the first night in a hotel bed, I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, whole bed. The <laughs> second night, I'm like, this is nice. And the third night, I get kind of cold. 
you know, yeah. like the fourth night I roll over and I'm alone. <laughs> and it's like, man, I don't want to be in a hotel anymore. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, that's just like, uh, being gone. That's just like, you know, that's not losing someone forever. It's just like, no, they're not here. I can't imagine that. Like, um, having that sort of feeling and, and the line, um, about the devils in the mailbox to me is like, it, it brings up this idea that not only is this person loved, but you know, if this person died, um, in the world trade center, uh, they probably were like, you know, a business person or f- they were probably at work or, or working as a rescue worker. So it means they, you know, a person probably like relied on them a little bit, at least for wage earning. So devils in the mailbox, it's like, I am missing you and grieving and yet the world is going on and some other people in the world are telling me that I owe them money <laughs> because yeah. you like I can't pay my health insurance right now because the person I love died and that's sort of a wild thing to think about you know is that sort of that moment that's the moment that I, I think when I hear people talk about grief like of losing a spouse that's the moment that always strikes me as the most sort of shocking it's the, you know it's the, I think the moment that would break me you know, on the phone with like some poor bill collector who didn't, who didn't want to hear about that that day, you know, yeah, <laughs> and just getting yelled at <laughs> by just a grieving, you know, person. That's what that, that line to me invokes. And it's, Oh, I don't wow. know. It's just super intense. You know, I never thought about devils in the mailbox being about unpaid bills. I always thought it was like, we keep getting mail with this person's name on it, but, but yeah, man, well, I mean, unpaid well, bills. That, I mean that too, but like, but yeah, you know, someone's name on it is still like someone trying to conduct business, like someone trying to transact with your, you know, like imagine getting <laughs> getting like a direct TV mailer. Yeah, for sure. With like a dead spouse name on it. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, I'm mourning this person. And you're trying to get twenty four fifty a month out of them. Mm. Like, you know, <laughs> that's just I could see myself getting real mad and like really writing an essay about it, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and yeah, that, I mean, just sort of the the insidious nature of like everything is a trigger like ev- everything because if you if you share your life with somebody then everything in your normal life will remind them of that uh, will remind yeah. you of that person and and so yet yeah, like in that the juxta- again juxtaposition here god's drifting in heaven de- devils in the mailbox that i like the 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 sort of dichotomy of like god feels very far away but the devil is in my front yard you know like that the idea of you know the thing that is meant to be, give me comfort feels a million miles away but the thing that terrorizes me is always here is it's, yeah. just, it's in the mail the it's in the mailbox and the flag is up you know what i mean like it's it, there's always that's a great line right there god's drifting in heaven devil's, devil's in the mailbox is that all like all of the heavy commentary you have yeah, on you yeah i think so okay because on a lighter note I, this line everything i it's everything i really love and i was i think about this all the time i think about like um what if someone walks into your house like, and you are caught unawares and you're just having a normal, whatever afternoon and you're in your living room and they walk in and everything is everything. Like, what do they see? I think about that all the time. Mm. Um, not like in an insidious way, (laughs) (laughs) but like in a, in a, um, you know, like they could see me playing Legos with my kid or they could see me reading a book, uh, or they could see me, scrolling through Facebook on my phone uh, while my family, like while my beautiful, healthy family's around me or, you know, or they could see me watching some stupid TV show or, or, you know, like there's all kinds of different scenarios mm-hmm. they could see. And, and all of them would be true. Um, I think about that all the time. Um, everything is everything. But today, <laughs> today, April walked in the house 
or maybe it was a couple days ago. She walked in the house. Uh, she was sitting on the on the porch, um, and she walked into the house. And I was like sitting on the couch, and I had a sleeping baby in my arms. And the baby was like wearing its pajamas and looked, you know, and was like recently bathed and was clean. And I was reading like a really big historic like historical book <laughs> that I was genuinely interested in. And like I had come home and put on not my work clothes, but not my like just not just like gym shorts like i just i had put on a thing that matched but was comfortable but like practical (laughs) and (laughs) i said and i had like a cup of hot tea (laughs) and i was like uh man i feel great this is i just got caught unawares in the the uh, image that i would choose to portray (laughs) (laughs) if i could and i love that uh but i love to think about that like what is everything's everything like what do those states look like for you i don't know i i think about that all the time well and what a precise way because uh, he, what he's trying to communicate here is everything is normal, but nothing is normal. And how do you say that? And he just by by saying everything is everything. Like, oh, yeah. That I mean, yeah. that is that is the mo- that is the best like just economic use of like three words to communicate everything you're trying to communicate. That's that's really good tight writing. He's saying if you were walking up to the front door of the living room right now mm-hmm. and you were imagining just not even on purpose, but just in your head, you were preparing yourself for what you were going to see on the other side of the door. Everything is the way that and you open the door. It looks just like that. Like, you, you, you know, you would not be surprised. This is it is as it is and as it was and as you remembered it, except for one detail. Yeah. You. Well, how many mailboxes would you give this song? I might give this four. I can meet you there. I'll, I'll go four on this one. It didn't have to be a negotiation. You can give it whatever you want. No, I, I I think I was gonna give it a four. I was I was somewhere in between four and a four and a half. But uh, I think I think four. I think four is right on this. Yeah, it's a really good song. Um, Tell you what, you want to just bring the house down, just do the song at a funeral, and you know. Whew. Oh my gosh! People don't <laughs> respond to that. They're dead inside. Oh my gosh. Uh... I don't. I, could you imagine like a funeral where people play like super super sad music? I would find it refreshing. I, I get really tired of evangelical <laughs> denial at funerals. <laughs> oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny to hear a pastor say. Uh, my dad <laughs> wants jump played at his funeral, though. Speaking of <laughs> denial, Spirit, seriously, yeah, like no, man. <laughs> jump by Van Halen is what he has requested his entire life, and what will be played at his funeral. <laughs> um, oh man. Well, all right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this has been your missing. And we've got four episodes to Thanks go. For listening. This has been your missing. <laughs> this has been your missing. Um, I hope everybody's okay now that we've just spent a lot of time talking about some pretty sad stuff. Um, we'll- yeah, we should have started with the Mark Barron intro. You okay? Everybody okay? Everybody good? We good? All right. Is it cleared up? <laughs> well, I feel pretty good. Yeah, I feel good. He's gone from being like a, a chromogeny figure to being like almost my therapist. <laughs> he's very honest with everything. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I remember one time I'd like I had I just had a week where everybody every time I went somewhere everybody was like need a beer, <laughs> and I was just like uh, okay yeah yeah sure. And by the end of the week I was like driving to the gas station to get a six pack of beer, and I turned on his podcast and he was like hey man if you're going to the store to get some beer like you don't have to, and I was like oh yeah you're right and I just like turned around. <laughs> wow, he changed your life. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, totally yeah. Absolutely. Mark Maron has changed my life. All right. Well, we've got four episodes left to go uh, on this first run. And the next one we've got in uh, in the chamber is You've Got It. So You've got it. 
everybody have a good weekend, and we'll be back in your feed next week with You've Got It. <laughs> <laughs>